Live from Lisbon, this is The Twilight Show with Lucy Newberger. Good evening, it's Tuesday. You're back with me, Lucy Newberger, and we are here for The Twilight Show. This evening, we're talking about returning to work after a period of absence, along with a whole host of other things. Live from Lisbon, this is The Twilight Show with Lucy Newberger on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, it's me, Lucy Newberger, and you're back with me for The Twilight Show. This is very exciting, as it always is. Um, lots to get through, but uh, before we get into this evening's nitty-gritty about returning to work after a period of absence, of course, in typical usual fashion, I have to regale you with all the goings-on uh, in my world, both in teaching and outside of it. And oh my goodness me, has a lot been going on. So uh, if you are listening and want to uh, comment on on the things that I'm going to mention, then please do, please do get stuck in. Please do join me. It'd be lovely to have you along. And uh, yeah, just get stuck in. Okay, so first and foremost, it was my birthday yesterday. I turned 33 years old, which uh, is not a particularly big birthday, but... I have to say I'm enjoying my 30s. I feel it's a it's a good decade. It's a strong decade. Um, I feel much more competent for some reason in my 30s, competent and confident, actually, in my 30s than in my 20s. And that's not to say I disregard my 20s. My 20s were, were great in their own way. But I feel the learning curve was a lot steeper. I feel like that there was just a lot more to be discovered and learnt and experienced uh sort of and it was very much a roller coaster whereas i feel in my 30s i mean there's still things i need to discover there's still things i want to do but i feel in a better place to do them if that makes sense i don't know i don't know you can agree or disagree with that one but uh, it was it was a lovely few days to be honest and in in true queen like fashion i celebrated over a number of days so on saturday night after a considerable number of lateral flow tests from all involved, I was able to have a small gathering at my friend Hannah's apartment. Shout out to you, Hannah, if you listen back to this. Thank you so much for, for hosting. It was truly lovely. And everybody bought food, bought drinks, and we just had a really, really great time. It wasn't particularly crazy because everyone knows I'm not the biggest party animal, but it was lovely to just be with people, you know? I think that that's almost something we've lost sight of in the last few years. So that was really, really, really good. And of course there was cake and all the other things like that. And I have to say, I've just demolished uh, yet another slice of my birthday cake before this show. So I'm sitting feeling a little bit queasy, but I still think I might actually have cake for dinner. Because let me tell you something, if you do not have a Brazilian friend who makes you Brazilian birthday cake, 
you need to get yourself a Brazilian friend who makes Brazilian birthday cake. Now, I don't really know what wizardry goes into this. I think there's chocolate. I think there's something that's like Dulce de Leche. I'm not really entirely sure. But what you end up with is a chocolate cake with kind of all the stickiness and gooiness of, oh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's absolutely wonderful. So if nothing else, find yourself someone who makes you cake like my friend Esther does. And Esther, if you are out there listening, I really, truly think you could start a business just with whatever goes into that cake alone. I mean, honestly. And uh, the way you cut it, actually, or the way that Esther told me to cut my cake was you cut a hole in the middle uh, and then you cut round uh, so that the middle bit came home with me and that's the bit I'm still working through and then everybody gets an edge piece so no one's fighting over the best bits. Apparently that's the reasoning. But there you go. I, I didn't know that. So yes, I'm still working through my middle section and uh, there may be more for dinner after this show depending on how queasy I feel. Tom Rogers is in the house. Hello Tom, lovely to have you aboard. Thank you for joining me. Um, always uh, always loyally uh, listening in, so I do, I do appreciate it. What else happened on birthday weekend? Uh, my dad, bless him, and I think the photo is actually on Twitter, the birthday photo that I posted. My dad had flowers sent to work for me. So all together now, oh, how lovely is that? So, uh, but it was a bit of a, as all things involving me are, a bit of a nightmare because uh, the, the delivery company tried to call me and of course my Portuguese is nowhere near good enough to, to try and translate what they were up to. So I was running around my various Portuguese colleagues saying, can you please speak to them? I said to my dad that I promised I'd facilitate this delivery. And I need to make sure it happens. Anyway, all was well and the flowers turned up towards the end of the school day. So I was very, very pleased. And they're currently sitting on my, I suppose, kitchen, kitchen slash dining room table. I don't really have a dining room. It's just my kind of living space table, shall we say. So that's, so that's great. And hopefully they will last a while. Apparently, according to my mum, if you put a, a copper penny into your flower water, it makes them last longer and you're supposed to trim the stems as well. How much of this is true, I don't I don't actually know. So if you have any old wives tales or anything like that to do with keeping flowers alive for longer, I would love to know. Um, in keeping with the birthday theme, I went to my favorite noodle restaurant last night. I mean, it's kind of a, think of a, a better version of Wagamama, if you like. And uh, it does Thai curry, dumplings, noodles, and I also order from them quite regularly to the point where I turned up yesterday at the restaurant and introduced myself saying, I've got a table booked for however many people. And they said, oh, you're Lucy. And I thought, oh gosh, how embarrassing. They, they, they know that it's me. It, he might just have been being polite, but uh, uh, there was part of my brain that thought, oh gosh, he knows that I'm that weirdo that orders from them at least once a week. So that was, <laughs> that was quite funny. But all in all, a great, a great birthday, helped out by lots of friends along the way. So I really, really enjoyed it. And it's put me in a, in a lovely mood for the rest of the week, to be honest. And I've said lovely an awful lot in this first opening few minutes, but lovely, lovely, lovely. Moving on. So this week, uh, I was back in school properly for the first time since the Christmas holidays. We were online last week. And... <laughs> I mean, the debacles have just come thick and fast. I mean, 
honestly, I can't. I'm sort of still processing the the second one I'm going to tell you about. But the first one was uh, also incredibly entertaining. So one of the children in my class, who shall remain nameless for obvious reasons, is he's a very entertaining chap. And he, we think, is a little higher up the autistic spectrum than 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 some of some of the rest of us are. And he's enormously principled and he's very upstanding and he takes things very very personally as well. So in the middle of my science lesson the other day uh, I was using newton meters and trying to remember how to convert between newtons and grams and grams to newtons. We got there eventually but conversion mathematics in the middle of a science lesson I mean I like to live dangerously what can I say. I suddenly hear these Suddenly, hear a bang on the table, and right, that's it. Come from the back corner of my classroom. I thought, goodness me, what, what's going on? We're having a we're having a great time doing an experiment here. And child in question comes st came stomping up to the front of my classroom, and honestly, he was hyperventilating. He was crying. He was. I thought, oh my goodness, what's happened? Is he having a panic attack? Oh, I don't know what's happening here. So I said, uh, what on earth is going on? And he said that another child had called him a brainiac when it wasn't in a nice way and that he was very insulted by this and that he really, you know, thought he was going to do something physically violent. He's also incredibly articulate. He's going to do something physically violent. I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you, you want to do that. So I sent him, I said, I think you may, maybe go for a wander. And the way my school's laid out is that we're on the kind of the mezzanine floor and there's a ramp, there's two, a two-way ramp, or two two-way ramps, I should say, except they're both one way at the moment for COVID reasons. Uh, so you can kind of go down, walk around, come back up. So I said, look, just, just go for a wander. So he stomped across my room and <laughs> what happened next was almost happened in slow motion. So those of you who've worked in, in, the the sort of tougher schools inner city schools will know what throwing a chair looks like or tipping a chair over and you will have seen children do it we've all seen children do it and this child did tip a chair over but it wasn't a kind of a, a knock and, and a stomp out he actually tipped the chair over and carefully placed it on the floor then stomped out of the room and honestly at this point i didn't know whether to laugh or or tell him off because it was just the most extraordinary thing. He he obviously wanted to make a point, but because he's so principled and so well behaved most of the time, I think <laughs> I think he just wanted to to make his feelings known in that particular moment. And when he came back, I I didn't didn't go there with him uh, primarily because I didn't think I could do it without uh, without bursting into laughter. Anyway, he came back, I managed to talk him uh, off the proverbial ledge. And uh, he was fine after that. But bless him, honestly. Um, so yes, that's the weirdest chair throw or chair tip over I have ever seen. And hopefully it won't happen again. But uh, I've spoken to his parents and they, they're, they're not too worried. So that was debacle number one. <laughs> Debacle number two is uh, an <laughs> and honestly, 
when I tell you this story, I don't know if this one's even madder than the first one. So uh, Tom has uh, Tom has just uh, commented to say that that first story was pretty mad. Oh, just wait, Tom. It's it's there's another one coming. And <laughs> Lawrence has just come in to say, I feel like I've come in halfway through a belter of a story. Well, there's another one coming and we're still in the intro. So brace yourself. Now, this has been dubbed uh, Sex Edgate, uh, which, as you can and you're thinking, oh, gosh, what on earth is Lucy about to say? So huh, over Christmas, I got a message from a parent uh, who was very upset about the fact her child had taken a particular book out of the library. And it's only recently that I've discovered actually what the, how graphic the contents of this book actually are. And in part, I mean, I say partially in my defence, because actually what I'm about to tell you is probably indefensible, but you can decide. Um, this book is marketed at age 10 plus. So this book was taken out of the library and it's called Growing Up for Girls. And uh, <laughs> this was taken out of the library by by one of my students. And the sort of the first half of it is about changes that go on in the human body during puberty. And then the second half uh, is a bit goes in a bit more into um, sort of the the um, the sex side, the STI side, all the kind of things that maybe aren't for nine, 10 year olds to be looking at. Well, definitely aren't. There's no maybe about it. Definitely aren't. So this parent sent me a very panicked uh, email over the holiday saying, you know, my daughter has, has read this book and I'm really upset by its content. Um, I want to know what you think. Da, da, da. Now, of course, your automatic brain over the holidays goes, well, I'm on holiday. I don't really have to answer this. And I'm just going to ignore it until January. That's maybe what I should have done, but I didn't do that. Uh, and this family also happened to be on holiday in Brazil at the time. And uh, they, they then, uh, I then organised a, a call with the parent and this was over Christmas and had a chat with her and said, look, I'm so sorry that this, this book went out of the library on my watch. I feel terrible about it. However, you know, I think it's a good thing that she's getting her information from a factual source rather than our old friend, the internet. I said, also, there is a um, a lot of banter going on between older siblings. And let's not forget, you know, that they are maybe watching things they, they shouldn't be. Now, of course, I didn't directly accuse this parent of anything, but we we all know we, we're, we're all, you know, we're all teachers. Some of us are parents, too. We all know what goes on uh, and what these children are watching, whether they're supposed to or not. So I thought that I had dealt with all of this and that that was the end of that. Oh, no, no, no. So I received another email yesterday and <laughs> um, essentially saying that I hadn't dealt with it and that uh, parents were getting very wound up at this point and, you know, that they need they wanted to know what I was what I was going to do, what I was going to do. And I thought, oh, goodness me, this is turning into a bit of a witch hunt. Not only that, the other class have now been involved in this. So there's emails going back and forth. So I went to management and I said, what do I do? Because this is turning into an absolute nightmare. I said, this is over a book that granted should not have been in the library and granted got taken out on my watch. I have apologised to this parent. I've explained that 
I actually wasn't aware she'd taken this book out in the first place because although I do go to the library with them and there is a librarian there too, uh, I'm not checking and children are taking two, three books out at a time. I'm not checking every single one because my understanding, and again, you can tell me if I'm in the wrong here, my understanding is that you know, a librarian should also be checking what's going in and out the library, but also in a primary school library, the contents of that library should be age appropriate. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so I, yes, I groveled to this parent. I apologize. I said I'd spoken to management and the decision was that all these books uh, have now been removed from the library and they're going to be locked away uh, until further notice and as and when it is appropriate to bring them out so for sex ed in year six etc that is when this um hallowed cupboard will be unlocked again and sort of my takeaway from all this is that yes okay that book should not have gone out in the first place that book should not have gone out on my watch mm-hmm. and this these Parents seem to be winding themselves up more and more saying, you know, they feel like um, a step's been taken away from them, a conversation with their child has been taken away from them. What on earth is going on in my classroom? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, nothing's going on in my classroom. Nothing inappropriate is going on in my classroom. But the hard truth is, parents, ladies, gents of of children aged 9, 10, even younger, and we've had this conversation in a a sex sex ed episode, try saying that quickly, uh, prior to to this show, so if you want to go and have a listen to that, please do, it's a great show, Um, and I do think there is a degree of, well, hang on a minute, you do need to accept that children are maturing younger, they're asking questions younger, they're doing all sorts of things younger. Oh God, that's that sounded better in my head. But you get the idea. You get the idea. And whether we like it or not, we do have a responsibility as educators. We're not trying to take anything away from parents. And I just feel that the sort of slight hysteria attached to this, and I'm going to say it, I do feel it is slight hysteria, is a bit much. And the fact that... Th- this parent also said to me, you know, do you think I should be having these conversations with my children? Well, yes, if you feel they're appropriate, yes, I do. Uh, And also, if children ask me questions, within reason, that's the caveat, within reason, I'm going to answer them. Because I also feel the more you push this stuff under the carpet, the more they're just going to go, hey, Google, you know, what's a penis? Hey, Google, you know, whatever else you can dream up. They all have access to Siri, Google, voice activation, you name it. So I feel I did my bit. I don't know. You'd be interested to to let me know what you think. Please do. Lawrence has said, I was going to say, why is it on the shelf in the first place? Not on you, Lucy. No, but arguably I probably should have um, gone through each child's book. And now what I do have to do on the back of this is that management have said, right, we've got to be really vigilant and you've got to check every single book that a child is taking out. But my argument is, well, if we're in a primary school library, it shouldn't matter because everything in there should be age appropriate and should be checked by a librarian, which I was under the assurance that it was. So (laughs) if anything more comes of this, I'm sure you will hear about it again. But that is debacle number two of the week. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I'd, 
yeah, I'm a bit tapped out on that one. So uh, yeah, do let me know your your thoughts on it. But I feel like uh, that some of these parents would like to see my head on a pike paraded around the local village at, at the moment. It does feel a bit like that. But maybe I'm just being oversensitive. I don't know. Anyway, on a different note, as always, plugging away with the What's for Dinner feature. So do please let me know what it is you are having. My best friend, Eleni, in true uh, committed fashion, has told me what she's having. She's on the lasagna. I probably shouldn't commit to cake for dinner, but I kind of want to. Um, Lawrence, I'm sure, is going to let me know if he's on the sausage casserole that I know he cooked earlier in the week. Um, oh, he's still on my previous story. It makes me laugh that parents are saying how you've taken away such and such when expectations on teachers are sky high. I agree, Lawrence, and I honestly, I don't know where the boundaries are anymore. Um, oh, Freya, I think that's you, isn't it? The Car the Carnegie Award, I never know how to say it. She, she's going to absolutely murder me if I've got that wrong, is an award for children and so many books not appropriate for seven, eight-year-olds. I have to go through and work out and work out each. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a bit of a minefield. And I think maybe maybe I do need to take a, a, a greater kind of role in, in what they're reading. So maybe that is the case. But um, back on the food front, uh, yes, I mean, I've got my, I've actually got my brand new Vietnamese cookbook in front of me, which I do need to actually delve into and cook from at some point. But I don't think that's going to be tonight because of all the birthday excitement. I haven't got really anything in the house. There's some very sad looking mushrooms at the bottom of the fridge. And even I draw the line at kind of soggy mushroom surprise. So, yeah. Oh, Lawrence has, has confirmed that he's on the sausage casserole with rigatoni pasta this time, mixing up the accompaniments. I like it. So if any of you want to tell me what you're having for dinner, please do let me know. I'm always intrigued, and particularly as I haven't got a guest with me this evening. So if you want to chime in at any point, do let me know. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of the rest of the show, let's have some news. And when we come back, I will talk to you more about this evening's topic. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
According to a report in the Times Educational Supplement, the current state of SEND provision in England is resulting in magnet and honeypot schools. Magnet schools is a term which has increasingly been given to settings which have a higher percentage of students with SEND on roll than is reflected in the local community. Many of these schools are concerned that their higher than average proportion of students with SEND is not significantly recognised by Ofsted or the government. Pep Delazio, head teacher of Wales High School in Sheffield, says his school is a magnet school and added, It's like having a five-star review on TripAdvisor. This year's open evening was frightening. We had parents coming from all over the nearby authorities we serve because of our reputation. And that is worrying because while we want to do our best for these students, how long can we maintain it? According to the most recent government data, between 2015 and 2021, the number of SEND students in England rose from 991,981 to 1,083,003. In October, Nadim Sahawi said that he recognised the urgency around providing the provision of SEND. The Education Secretary, Nadim Sahawi, has backed the reduction of the COVID isolation period from seven to five days, saying it would be more helpful. Speaking to the Sunday Times, he said, the UK Health Security Agency have said they want to review it. So we will stick to seven days, but if they review it and say they will bring it down to five days, then that is even better for me. It's even more helpful. His comments come after parents were urged to book jabs for their children as official COVID deaths passed 150,000 in the UK. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Last week I looked at some free apps for the New Year's resolution of getting fit and healthy. This week I tried a few things out and I'm ready to present my findings. First up, the free version of MyFitnessPal. There's an old age saying that 90% of fitness is in the kitchen. If you want to get in shape, you have to have the right building blocks to do so. With this in mind, I set out to log everything I ate and for good measure, I even broke out the scales to get portion sizes correct. My first discovery is that 45 grams of granola the recommended portion size is nothing like the portion i've been having in fact i'd go as far as to say that it wouldn't even fill a hamster realizing i was eating three or four times the portion i was supposed to was made me think about my other choices so i ate the recommended 45 grams and logged the milk i was surprised how easy it was to find foods in the search feature even supermarket brands the app gave me a calorie target based on my weight height and goal i'd chosen as I had a coffee, I decided to map out my day and stick to it to stop myself cheating. After a week of tracking, I reviewed what I was eating. I could see where most fat and calories were coming from, allowing me to consider, I'm not promising anything, where I could make changes. The question you want me to answer is, did I lose weight? The answer is yes, but I think my next experiment had the most impact on that. Over the break, 
I managed to fall asleep watching TV and woke up to an infomercial on a DVD box set to get fit in 60 days. 60 days sounds quite quick, but thinking about it, it's practically two months. However, I did a bit of research and found a program that didn't need any weights or equipment, just floor space. I picked up the Insanity Workout series for around £35 on Amazon. My thinking being, you'd pay that for a month in a gym and I get to keep this forever. Now, I will confess, I do consider myself quite fit already. However, nothing could have prepared me for this. With Sean T, the amazing energy coach screaming dig deeper and about 20 fitness professionals bouncing around what looked like a high school gym i've spent 45 minutes a day for the past six days jumping stretching squatting and definitely sweating being honest i was ready to tap out after the warm-up on day one i'm not gonna lie i used muscles i don't think i've ever used by day three even sitting still and lying in bed at night hurt after pushing through today on day seven a rest day the pain has subsided and i feel great i just have one word of warning if you're looking to do something like this the long walk from the car park with load books may be impossible in the first week read the disclaimer this is not to be taken lightly in conclusion i can't see myself keeping up my fitness pal once the novelty wears off but it has made me look at my diet a dvd fitness program for me is great finding 45 minutes is not always easy and if you want to try before you buy if you're a member of netflix or prime already there's programs on there which are already in your subscription next week we're back to tech for teaching i'm steve woods and this was two minute tech two minute tech with steve woods your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everybody, you're back with me, Lucy Newberger, and this is Tuesday's Twilight Show. I was giggling away at uh, Two Minute Tech then, and you know, Steve takes his research very, very seriously, and that uh, that is a, a good thing. Um, I've definitely used my fitness pal in the past, and I think primarily due to my attention span and due to, you know, well, excuses, I I never got on with it very, very well, because to log everything you eat is is problematic. Um, but uh, I do, <laughs> I do level with the 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 cereal, uh, the granola portions, cereal portions, pasta is my one, because the amount of the portion of pasta you're supposed to have versus what we all cook, and you do it too, you know, you do, uh, is just well, I mean, you end up, it's same with rice, you end up with just mountains of it. And then you think, well, I've cooked it now and it, down the hatch it goes. So, <laughs> but uh, yes, I mean, I definitely, uh, definitely have used that. And Insanity, actually, I used to do in my local gym back in, in the UK. So if you are looking for a very, very incredibly sweaty workout, I do thoroughly recommend that. But I digress as per usual. So this evening, what I wanted to touch on was uh, quite a serious topic, actually. Uh, and I think part of this, um, part of the reason I didn't have that many replies and responses to this topic was because actually people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about their experience um, returning to work after something's happened, whether it be health, mental health, maternity, because the stories aren't very positive, it seems. And particularly, actually, when I did, when I went into research mode, as I always do for these shows, particularly, uh, even with people, uh, teachers returning uh, to work after COVID, I found um, an iPaper article today, uh, which said, uh, which the headline was, teachers suffering from long COVID plan to quit profession in droves over shocking treatment. I mean, it's it's terrible to think that teachers who are suffering from COVID or long COVID um, and 
as it says in the article here, have been subjected to unsympathetic remarks from colleagues regarding the time off sick, and they feel they have no choice but to leave. And it just, I mean, imagine that. You've, you've been through the, the trauma of having COVID, and okay, I appreciate that. You know, uh, some people get it worse than others, but if you are in any way sick, uh, with COVID, it's it's horrible. I've been there myself, and it was like having the worst flu of your life, and then chronic fatigue for about a month afterwards. In my case, and brain fog that I can't even describe to you. I couldn't imagine. I mean, I was fortunate in that we were, had gone into the sort of deep dark second lockdown in Portugal by this point. So actually, I was able to recover at home. I couldn't imagine going back to work straight after that. There is no way I would have coped, at least not without a huge amount of support and um, understanding colleagues. And I think actually, you know, certainly with, uh, you know, with the staffing body that are there, I think I would have received that. I think I would have been supported. And I do feel I'm in a school that would, you know, would look after me. But it seems that in the UK, there are people experiencing a distinct lack of sympathy and just aren't wanting to go back to work on the back of having been sick because they're not getting the support and understanding from their staff or from their head teacher. But to come back a step for a minute, part of the reason I wanted to talk about this as well was, as with a lot of the shows that I do, it kind of, I draw on personal experience. And I think I've said this before, you know, to write well, you write what, what you know, to talk well, you must talk about things that you know and understand. Not always, but a lot of the time. So back in, oh, where are we delving into in the archive here? I think this must have been about 2017, so not that long ago. I was attempting to start my NQT year, and I, well, what is now the ECT year, and I'd I was still in kind of naive mode when I left my PGC of kind of, oh, well, you know, I just, you know, I just need to find a school to take me. I just need to find a school to take me. That That's all I need. It doesn't really matter if it's awful. You know, I can leave after a year. It's fine. You know, I can do it. I can hack it. So I went to this particular school, looked around, was not shown the class that I would be teaching. Error number one, always meet the class if you can. And they seem very, very keen for somebody to take the job. And I mean, if I look back on it, and I think actually, they wanted they wanted an NQT, they wanted an ECT. Because, you know, we're cheap. Well, I say we, I'm not one anymore. But we're essentially the, you know, the cheapest end of, of that teaching spectrum. So if they can get you in, they're, they're going to. And also because you're supremely qualified at that point, of course. So I took this job. And this class, that uh, was a year five class, were unbelievable. Um, there was a lot of SEN, additional need. Um, there were a lot of children with um, quite, quite, uh, you know, strong learning difficulties. Then, of course, you had two boys who just did nothing but shout and scream at each other across the room. That, that was every lesson. And you also had a, a girl in that class whose favourite pastime was just to upend people off chairs in the middle of the lesson. And she would just go around doing that. She'd go in and out of the classroom, slam the door. And as, a, as an ECT, NQT, uh, this was carnage. I mean, this was absolute hell on earth. And to top it all, 
Uh, I had no TA. And when I did have support, it was kind of sporadic. It was when they could spare somebody. And about three weeks into this job, I went to the head teacher and to the deputy head teacher. I went, went to see both of them. And I said, look, I... I, d- I don't think I can do this. This is ridiculous. I, I leveled with them. I said, I really don't think, because this was about November time. And I said, I don't think I can come back after Christmas. That that class is, they're unteachable. They're unmanageable. And they said, oh, well, that's just really disappointing, Lucy. You know, we thought you were stronger than that and better than that. I said, well, I, I did too, but this is this is going to break me. This is This is going to finish me off. I said, well, you can't leave until Easter. You know, we need you until until then at least. So you're just going to have to get on with it. That was their version of support. So my uh, reaction to that was I got signed off um, in the January. This was I got signed off in the January. And I thought, OK, this is going to give me time to gather myself, to think up a plan to maybe go back to work and try and try and. Uh, get to Easter at the very least and I thought okay I I can I can do this I can I can really really do this and I just need two weeks to kind of pull myself together as it were and the onslaught from this school started very early on so instead of uh, contacting me to find out how I was what I was doing whether you know when I intended to come back or the rest of it there was none of that where it started to go pear-shaped for me was at the time uh, my teacher training uh, university Canterbury Christchurch were doing a um, an NQT support thing a kind of uh, a series of lectures they were doing an, an, an afternoon for for the most recent cohort and my friends who I teacher trained with um, some of whom are still in teaching some are not it's a whole other story um, maybe a chance for another radio show as well a, a where are they now um put a pin in that one <laughs> and come back to it but uh I said they said to me you know you must come to this NQT afternoon it'll be really important you can catch up with your you know your old uh, lecturers and maybe they can kind of help out with all of this and, and offer some advice and I said no no I, d- I don't think I I can I don't think I can go to this you know I'm signed off I'm meant to be in hiding uh, staring at the walls I can't you know I can't possibly go to this to this NQT event and they said no 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 seriously you can't stare at the walls. You know, you've been kind of AWOL for days. Just come with us. What's the worst that's going to happen? So I went along. And of course, I was spotted by a colleague from school. I was spotted at this NQT event. And uh, she'd obviously trained at Christchurch as well. And she'd obviously been invited to the same NQT event that I had. And uh, this obviously got back to my head teacher. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but if I've been standing on a bar with a drink in each hand, uh, highly inebriated and having a, a whale of a time, I'd understand the problem, okay? I'd, I'd understand that, well, hang on a minute, if you're well enough to do that, then you're well enough to be at work. I wasn't doing that. I was at a conference, I was seeking support, I wasn't kind of laughing or joking. I was an absolute shell of a human. And yet the email that came through from that head teacher was, well, if you're well enough to go to the NQT conference, you're well enough to to be in school. I don't understand, Lucy, why you feel that's appropriate. And basically you're in breach of contract or something to that effect. 
And I thought, I, I can't go back to this place. This is, she clearly, you know, I, I, I can't do this. I can't, if, I, if, if in any part of my brain, I thought I could go back to this place, I absolutely can't. You know, she clearly doesn't understand. And maybe, you know, maybe in hindsight, I shouldn't have gone to that conference. Maybe not. Maybe I should have just been at home and I should have taken my own advice and just stay put. Maybe. But it's not what happened. So I ended up getting in touch with the, with the union. And I explained to the union what had happened. And I said, look, that job was, is unsustainable. I'm also getting emails from the head teacher saying that... Um, I'm essentially in a lot of trouble because I was spotted at this particular event. And the union said, well, no, I don't think you are. I think you're fine. Sit tight. And so I did. I sat tight, um, except for one very big mistake where, and this is probably an advice, advice I would give to anybody struggling in teaching, whether you're an ECT, uh, whether you're very experienced or not. There are a lot of these Facebook forums, Twitter is another one of these forums, where people do rant and rave about things and people do put forward questions when they're a bit desperate and they do maybe give more information than they should and it comes back to haunt them. In the internet age, and we've already talked about the, the effects and what you can find on the internet this evening already. But in the internet age, someone is going to find it. Okay. So in my desperation, what I had done was on a Facebook forum, a well-known uh, Facebook teacher forum, even despite the fact I don't use my full name on Facebook and haven't done for many years, I posted a kind of desperate thing about, about this job saying, you know, I thought I could go back to work. I actually can't. How on earth do I get? Because, you know, I'm contracted to the school. How on earth do I do I get out of this? How on earth do I, you know, what, what do I do? And a different colleague this time spotted it, sent it on to the head, and uh, it backfired badly, put it this way. She was not amused when she realized that that, that was me that had posted that. And so it then got into a kind of bitter battle with uh, with school, me and the union, where the union, all I'd said to the union at this point was, look, I need to get out of there. I can't go back there. That If I go back there, they are going to tear me to shreds. There is not going to be support in place. They are going to ensure that my life is absolute hell until I can actually leave. You know, I'm not going to walk back into a, a back to work interview. I'm not going to walk into any of the things that should happen after a period of leave. Um, and now that might not have been true. Again, that might have been my slightly kind of hysterical brain going, you know, there's no way, you know, I've, I've dug the hole. It's, it's not going to happen. But given, I suppose, given the hole I had dug at that point, I don't think, I don't think they were going to welcome me back with open arms, put it that way. So the kind of the tail end of this story is that the union did eventually manage to get me out of the contract. I think I was eventually released in the March. So I'd been signed off in the in the January and I was eventually released yeah, uh, in the March. And uh, quite honestly thought I'd never teach again. But uh, what I would say, again, to anyone who has been through anything like that, and many, many, many of us have, whether it's in uh, early on in our career, later on in our careers, there are many stories like mine. Um, I would say that Supply Teach, that was the game changer for me. It was uh, going into different schools, 
seeing what's there, not having to deal with any of the nonsense, you know, going in and going out, but also having to think on my feet, having to teach in different year groups. That was what allowed me to carry on in this profession. So I owe my career really to supply teaching. Now, again, I know that supply agencies have their own issues with pay and all the rest of it and how much work you get and da da da. It works for some people, it doesn't work for other people. Some don't have the luxury of being able to do that, but I was in a fortunate position in at the time I could, and so I did. So if you are able to, and you need that boost in your teaching, I, I can only recommend it, but vet your agencies carefully. Now, my story is not the only story like this, these back to work stories where you haven't, or trying to go back to work after a period of absence. I actually, um, another friend of the show who I believe has been on with you, Freya, before, if you're still in the studio somewhere, um, Briley Habib uh, messaged me, and she told me her story of returning to work after, or trying to return to work after postnatal depression. And honestly, this, this story uh, beats mine. Um, Briley was basically told that she was unfit to be at work, that they were concerned about her, that they were worried she was going to, to harm her, her own child. I mean, all kinds of things. I mean, I'm just kind of going through the, the conversation that I, um, that I had with her. And, uh, the she said um you know her last school was so toxic that when she made the fifth official complaint about her line manager and requested a new line manager she was told no okay imagine that you know you're you're trying to go back to work you've been through you know a mental health crisis which is you know that's what postnatal depression is uh and then to be told that you can't you know, you can't have a, the manager that, you know, you, you desperately need. I mean, it's, it's, it's easier said than done in schools. Of course it is. But if somebody is actively making your life difficult, how can you possibly work alongside them? And uh, the response was then she would need to find, um, you know, that if she had to stay in that school under that management, um, that she would have to find employment elsewhere and that her daughter would have to grow up without her dad and without her family. And the female head teacher's response to that was, well, kids are resilient. She'll get over not having her dad in her life. Um, and I believe the, uh, the, passing, <laughs> the passing comment from Briley was poison dwarf. So just goes to show that, you know, these environments that are supposed to be full of nurturing, caring people, people that are supposed to look after one another, they, they just, they don't. And it's absolutely shocking to hear. And honestly, um, I did some more research into this. I'm just going to pull up the different things that I've been looking at. And uh, I found on education support, just some uh, interesting bits and pieces statistics wise, statistics wise, trying to say that fast as well. So this is um, something called the Teacher Wellbeing Index. And it's a program of research that actually began in 2017 to understand more about teacher well-being. And actually, just on a side note to this, I think what I found again is that there seems to be a lot of articles about how to support teachers, about you know how they're feeling, about mental health, about all of this. And yet, very little of it seems to be being implemented or chased up or, or worked on. And now don't get me wrong, there are schools that absolutely do support mental health, absolutely do support well-being, but the majority of it seems to be, oh, well, 
here are some statistics about, you know, how rubbish we're all feeling and we're not getting supported. Here's some more statistics. Here's some more information. Here's some more percentages. Oh, did you know that teachers are leaving the profession in droves? Well, yes. Yes, we do. And how are you going to change that? And just uh, out of interest, here are, here are the uh, 2021 statistics. This is only from 3,000 teachers, okay? So as always, we must, uh, you know, check our resources and make sure, like good researchers that we are, that, uh, you know, where it comes from, who is it by, does it have an agenda? It's my university brain kicking in again. So, <clears throat> excuse me, croaking up a bit. 70% uh, of teachers have experienced symptoms of poor mental health due to their work. That's an enormous statistic, 77%. So when you think, you know, that's over three quarters of teachers um, or teachers surveyed in this case. 72% are stressed and that rises to 84% for senior leaders. Okay, incredible. 46% are, this goes back to the good old teacher martyrdom episode, 46% always go into work when unwell. I mean, pre-COVID, we all did it, okay? We all did it. I mean, in a way, I think COVID, I mean, despite what I mentioned earlier, has been a bit of a saving grace for some of us because as soon as you uh, so much as cough or sneeze, nope, you must stay home. You must stay home, you must take a lateral flow test and you must not come near school until you are absolutely certain that you are not positive. Whereas prior to all this, I mean, I went into school and I, I told the story in, in the martyrdom episode. I went to school with bladder infections. Um, I passed out in the school loo, uh, all sorts of things. No, Tom, this is the 2021 survey, uh, not the 2017. It's uh, the research program itself started in 2017, but these are last year's stats. So this is in including, you know, COVID data, I suppose, as well. So, yeah, 46% of us uh, go in when unwell, rising to 54% for senior leaders. Um, so over half there, which is uh, another incredible stat. 42% um, think their organization's culture has a negative impact on well-being. And again, even though that's, I mean, that's approaching half, it's not quite half, but to work, the fact that nearly half of those teachers surveyed think that their working environment has a negative impact on their mental health. That's, that's crackers, isn't it? When you think work is such an enormous part of your life and in environments that we're working in, in schools, we're meant to be, you know, inspiring and teaching the next generation. So if we're experiencing that level of toxicity and negativity every single day, how on earth can we then have the energy and the mindset to then do what we need to do on a daily basis? Absolutely shocking. Okay, here we go. 54% um, have considered leaving the sector in the past two years due to pressures on their mental health. Okay, 54%. Uh, the people in question, and Tom, I will put this in my show notes because I'm, I'm trying to be good like that. This is education support, okay? Uh, and they do this annually. So it's the Teacher Wellbeing Index uh, provides an insight into the mental health and well-being of teachers, education and, and education staff, rather, working in the UK. Um, so for those of you that want to find this, and Tom, if you want to have a quick gander now, it's educationsupport.org.uk. Um, and over the last five years, levels of stress and anxiety remain unsustainably high. Excessive workload and lack of work-life balance remain key drivers for poor mental health. 
COVID-19 has had a significant impact on well-being. Well, duh, we all know that. Um, a consistently high percentage of staff considered leaving the profession. I mean, none of this is old news to us. None of this is old news. This has all been, I mean, certainly, I mean, I've been in the profession uh, six years, I suppose seven if you count my training year. And this is all, these are all, um, this is all information I knew going into my teacher training. And I don't know, Tom, you've been at this a lot longer than, shaming you here, been at this a lot longer than I have. And I don't know if this was um, as much of an issue when you started out. Um, staff are concerned they will be perceived negatively if seeking support for mental health issues. Just let that one land for a moment for you. So no wonder we're not getting the support. They're concerned they will be perceived negatively if seeking support for mental health issues. And therein lies a far greater problem in that there's still that stigma. There's still an enormous kind of taboo surrounding the discussion of mental health. Okay, and that's, you know, that's a far bigger issue than we can begin to deal with um, in a Teachers Talk radio show. But it's also impo important that we acknowledge that that's still going on in 2022 or 21 when this was when this was taken. And uh, organizations have improved staff awareness of well well-being policies as well as their implementation. Well, that's all well and good, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of it's all very well being aware but awareness isn't action, is it? I mean, it's not. And then the recommendations, I'm not gonna bore you too much with these, just gonna pick out a few. Educator mental health must be at the heart of education and recovery and all education policy. That goes without saying, doesn't it? I mean, if we're going to be able to deal with, you know, things we're experiencing, if we're gonna be able to go back to work and if we're gonna be able to even just exist as teachers on a daily basis. That has to be at the basis for everything, for staff and for pupils too, but also primarily for staff. Um, existing frameworks uh, present opportunities for improvements. For schools and colleges, you must look after your leadership, support your staff. So it even says it in the recommendation, you must support your staff, okay? And prioritize a culture of wellbeing and reduce stigma. Okay, so, you know, again, this is one of these things and I do, you know, education support and the research they're doing is obviously very necessary, very important research. And they're making recommendations. But the fact that these recommendations still exist in 2021, and have probably been the same for the last however many years, would suggest to me that not enough has been done. Um, and even actually, <laughs> funnily enough, on their websites, uh, as well, education support, who are the people whose, uh, whose statistics I've just spent the last however many minutes reading to you, this I found truly baffling, was uh, their page on supporting staff returning to work. Do you know what their recommendation is? This will blow your mind. Um, they refer you to Mind, the charity Mind. Okay, so they don't list anything there that they're, that is, you know, anything to do with guidance from their side. I mean, maybe the, the reasoning behind that is that they feel that a mental health charity would be better placed to offer recommendations. But obviously, those recommendations are not teacher specific. They're not going to they're not linked directly to helping someone within a teaching environment. So that just blew my mind a little bit. The fact that, you know, uh, below you'll find some guidance for from Mind Charity on things for individuals to consider when returning to work. Uh, general work and some guidance for managers on how to manage the return to work process. 
again, this should all be in policy. This should all be with the, written into to school policy. And I think in many cases it is. But is it acted upon? I don't know. Lawrence has uh, commented to say, I had a personal crisis during my time with my maternity cover contract that I don't want to disclose, and that's entirely fair enough. But it was to the point where the deputy head told me to go home to get an emergency GP appointment and use her as a touch base moving forward. The good ones are out there. Uh, or am I reflecting on my personal experience with rose tinted glasses that it all worked out? No, Lawrence, I don't think you are. I think you, you are acknowledging um and rightly so, that there are cases where people have returned to work and have been able to make that return in a positive way, but also have been able to get support to, to go off and get that help in the first place. Because I think that's the other thing. I think a lot of the time, you know, we've sort of talked about the, well, what happens once you're off? But on many occasions, like the story I told you, in a way like Briley's story, it's only when crisis point is reached or when you suddenly you know you have that uh and you know that nervous breakdown or whatever it is where you suddenly go oh gosh i can't do this i need to get out of it i need i need to go now and it's often only when we get to that point of crisis that uh that we go to we go to senior staff or we go to somebody and say look I need to take some time off. Sometimes we don't even do that. We do what I did and just hand in a doctor's note the next day, which is actually that that story that I told you. I handed in my doctor's note in person because at the time, and I don't know if this is still true, at the time you could self-certify for seven days. Um, I don't know if you can now. And on that seventh day, which I believe actually was my birthday that year uh, in the January, I handed in my doctor's note and I never set foot in that building again. So there you go. But uh, what else did I find on my adventure through the internet? Oh, <laughs> you'll enjoy this. And I'm sorry to do this, but I found... Um, <laughs> and I actually forgotten this existed. Uh, the Education and Staff Wellbeing Charter from the good old .gov. Um, I think this was from Ofsted or the DfE, but it's all much of a muchness. But uh, this is something else that, again, has kind of been put into writing, put in place. But my question to you would be, is it being acted upon? Are people living this? Are we doing enough to ensure this is in place in schools? And it says... The Education Staff Wellbeing Charter is a declaration of support for and a set of commitments to the well-being and mental health of everyone working in education. Well, it's a good thing, isn't it? The Charter is for Education Staff in England. <clears throat> Sorry to those of you in uh, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, but I'm sure you have your own delightful version of this. Lawrence, I don't know if you can comment on this from the Welsh point of view. This includes temporary and support staff as well. Jolly good. Um, and... All state-funded schools and colleges are invited to sign up to the charter. So it's not even a, a mandate to say, you know, this is kind of what you need to be doing. You're invited to sign up to it, and there is no deadline to do so. Now, of course, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? I mean, I say that it, it should it be mandated. But then this is kind of another issue I have with the idea of well-being policies and things like that. If you put it into policy, it's kind of a, you know, you're sort of saying, you know, this is, you know, you will be well and you will do this and you will do that in terms of your well-being. But then on the flip side to that, I do think you need to have something in place about returning to work, about what happens when a colleague, you know, has to take time off, about 
how to maybe identify if a colleague is struggling and i know again that that information does exist on the internet as as well but i feel like you have to go looking for that it's not i don't think i've ever had a a staff meeting or cpd or anything about supporting colleagues with with mental health and of course we've got ourselves to worry about you know the the last things any of us have the mental bandwidth for most of the time is anyone else's issues you know uh alongside our own but i do think again there is that looking out for one another that's so vital in, in this job because we all sit here and we all say oh you know teaching is a team sport and all the rest of it but actually it's very isolating most of the time i mean i spend the large part of my day by myself in my classroom i mean some you know a lot of you are very fortunate to have tas i don't so I am, I mean, when I say I'm by myself, I'm with my kids, obviously, who are great, who are wonderful, but they're not, you know, checking how I'm doing. They're emotionally intelligent, but they're not my sounding board. They're not the people who are kind of poking their head around the door going, you're all right, Lucy, or it's not, you know, it's, it's down to us to kind of make sure, I suppose, we are checking in with each other, but it's difficult to do it's difficult to know and often when someone is suffering mentally and i know we've kind of gone a lot on mental health here but you know it applies to physical health of course as well um it's sometimes difficult to know uh particularly as there are some of us out there and i include myself in this who are very good at hiding it and who are very good at kind of just saying oh yeah everything's great and, and wonderful when actually often it is not the case but uh, continuing on with this delightful charter, and honestly, <laughs> if you do get a chance, some of you, some of you may uh, be involved in schools where uh, you have their um, charming, officer's charming purple poster on the wall that says, uh, ensure that inspectors take staff well-being into account during an Ofsted. Again, having been through an Ofsted at one of my schools in the UK, I don't think I was asked at all about well-being and I don't think it, it came up. Um, I might be wrong about that. Um, coming to their judgments and monitors through quality assurance and evaluation. Again, I think it's a very difficult thing for them to actually quantify, but I don't know, there we go. Um, continue to clarify, we do not expect providers to create documentation for inspection to try and reduce administrative workload. Well, that's good of you, isn't it? But we all still do it. Um, and then there's a DFE um, poster as well, uh, where where they've said, oh gosh, there's a whole checklist here. Um, design in well-being. I don't even know what that means. If you can tell me, please do let me know. Support the sector to drive down unnecessary workload. I mean, again, it's. I don't know about you, but it's all a little bit repetitive, isn't it? It's all a bit of the kind of same old, same old. Where you think, well, hang on. Where have I heard this before? Oh, right, in some other documentation that you released about two years ago under a different title, but essentially says the same thing. But then, you know, if we're going to rant about government policy and education policy and all the rest of it, it will be here till Christmas. So <laughs> I don't think we should launch too far into that. But I think the the sort of the overarching kind of conclusion in all of this is that you know, it, there's the good and the bad, isn't there? There's there's cases where you can walk into a school and something will go wrong. You'll have an incident with your health, your mental health, your girl maternity leave, whatever it is. And when you walk back in through those gates, you'll be walked, you'll be welcomed back with open arms 
and you'll receive the support you need to. But a lot of the time it's not like that. A lot of the time we're still hearing about situations where things are going wrong, where teachers are sometimes can't feel they can't go back at all or they do go back and then the cycle repeats itself. And certainly when you read articles like the one, uh, like the iPaper article that I referred to, and as I said, I'll put all this in my show notes, where, you know, even in the biggest crisis that the world, never mind the UK, wherever else you happen to be, that the world has faced in the last however many years, you've still got a situation where instead of rallying together to support people, you're having teachers just dropping like flies even more so. And of course, it is incredibly difficult for head teachers and for management to try and run a school when you've got no staff and to try and be supportive when, you know, there's no one around to support. And, you know, in terms of who's supporting them as well, that's a whole other conversation. Who's supporting the the management and the leadership when their schools are crumbling around them? So it's it's an exercise. Well, I don't really know what it's an exercise in, but it's it's absolute madness when uh, you know you don't know what one end of it from another, and when you're it's so changeable on a daily basis. How on earth can leaders be supportive to those who are coming back, or be supportive to to those staff who are new in school when they're having to kind of cover everything and they're having to put out fires every five minutes? But maybe in all of this, there is some learning to be to be had. And I hope that the next bit of research, not that I'm actively encouraging any more research, but I hope that the next investigation, research, literature that comes out shows that actually what we've learned from this whole COVID situation is that we do need to make sure that schools are supporting staff, that you know, if they do need to go on leave, that there are those, that there are cover staff in place, maybe not retired teachers. I mean, that's again, I know several people, several uh, other teachers talk radio hosts have, have talked about that. And that's a whole other argument. But so people can go and recover and so they can come back to work and have the correct uh, inroads back into work, have a back to work interview, have a plan in place. Because without these things, we're just going to keep hearing the same old, oh, well, you know, we're not retaining teachers. Oh, well, you know, the mental health is terrible. Oh, well, you know, we can't, we can't support. Them. Oh, well, you know, policy, this policy, that. And it does sound a bit like I've ranted my way through this, but I think I haven't identified anything new. I think this is all things we know and things that have just been exacerbated by what's gone on in the last, in the last couple of years. But yeah, I think my my feeling, and I don't know about the rest of you, is that I hope this is where real change happens. And not just in terms of teacher well-being, mental health, all the rest of it. There's so many other things, and I know I've touched on this and other hosts have touched on this, that can change and can be bettered on the back of this whole pandemic situation. And I know we're bored to tears of hearing about it and referring to it and all the rest of it. But we now have to see... I think at least the the positives and what we can what we can do now is really the time for change. I feel like I'm sort of you know standing here or sitting here rather with my fist here. Now is the time for change. Uh, so I hope you uh, you appreciate that rallying cry, and I hope that we can uh, all move on together to a brighter, happier, and healthy future and a healthy 2022. Oh, Lawrence has come back to me on the Welsh equivalent for the uh 
charter, which I can't now remember the name of for England. Hold on. What was it called? Uh, it was called the Education Staff Wellbeing Charter. There you go. Uh, so the uh, read your Welsh equivalent, Lucy. I can find one whose name I recognise, but we constantly get bombarded with care first emails. Is that a Welsh only initiative? It's not something I'm familiar with, Lawrence. Um, I, I don't know. Um, and also I'm a little bit, I know naughty, out of touch with some of the UK uh, policy in general because I haven't worked there for a year. So while I do refer to a lot of UK stuff in this, it's because it's my kind of frame of reference and where most of my... Uh, experience lies but no I think uh, I think to yeah to, to wrap up the this evening I think we really do have to push forward and we have to make sure that our our learnings going forward are actually implemented and that we do actually uh, from our own little corners of the teaching world really do fight to ensure that we're looking after ourselves after each other and actually challenging leaders to make sure that <clears throat> that they're looking after us too but also that someone's looking after them because without without that the whole structure falls apart doesn't it in any kind of organization so yeah that's my thoughts for this evening if you want to comment or add to anything do tweet me at lucy new so it's at l-u-c-e-n-e-u i thought i was being really cool at the time when i was spelling lucy like that don't judge um and yeah let me know your thoughts and i will definitely post the various articles i have referred to in my show notes so you can read those at your leisure and of course let me know what you think as well um unfortunately after me there is no libby this evening but i believe it is her birthday today um when i clicked on her twitter earlier to see if she was uh hosting this evening some balloons popped up so happy birthday libby wherever you are i hope you're having an amazing day us capricorns you know we're stubborn goats but we are we're made of strong stuff so have a lovely time and hopefully i think she's back next week so i'll be able to big her up there and then in the meantime uh, i hope you are all doing brilliantly i hope you're all having something wonderful for dinner I will talk to you next week. I haven't actually decided on what yet, but uh, I will let you know as and when I dream up something else to, to chat to you about for an hour or more. But in the meantime, stay excellent, and I will talk to you very, very soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.